If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey there, this is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. And I'm Erin Sadler with Sadler Science. And we are back with another episode of the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. So today we are actually going to be talking about developing our students' observation skills um, and how you might incorporate this into your back to school or beginning of the school year activities and routines and 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 beyond. I mean, it does not end at the beginning of the school school year. Um, and this question or this, this episode actually came from a question that we had received. So, um, Aaron, do you want to kind of talk about what the question was? Or? Yeah, I, I, I think we should also kind of say like a lot of times when we get questions, we get like a giant question with a bunch of different parts. So totally okay. We love all of your questions. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this question was about science writing and observations and all of that. Um, so we decided to break it up and just talk about that observation piece. And then we'll talk about science writing next because um, in a different episode, because we just really want to take the time to answer all of the pieces of this question. So if you send us a question, expect that it might get broken up because yes. um, you guys have good, really good in-depth questions. And sometimes we can't answer the whole thing in an episode. Yes. And it really seemed that observation needed to come first because the question was about like using students' observations in their science writing. So we got to get them to make some good observations first, right? Right. Um, and, and also observation, whether you're doing science writing or not, is a skill that is so important in your student-driven classroom because if your students are not pausing to observe, to notice things, they can't interact with the phenomena. They're not going to, to generate questions from that phenomena or curious, like curious thoughts, wonderings, all of that. Um, and then even later on in the learning, you know, with exploration, there's this piece of noticing what is happening and then taking what you see and making meaning from it. Like that's literally like the learning and exploration. And if your students don't know how to see what they see or like pause and notice, and then begin to communicate that or record that they're they're going to have trouble getting to the actual understanding phase. So sure. observation super important. Yeah. Yeah, and we were talking before this. Um so you were teaching summer school and yeah. 
Um, and summer school is always interesting because it's like an abbreviated, like you're just writing. It is. It's like five weeks. I, I don't see the kids every day. Um, it's like one, I see them one day a week or whatever. So it's, you can't really do a whole, like at first I'm like mapping out this like storyline. And then I actually thought it was six weeks, but it's only five weeks. And then I, we are not, and it's like 45 minutes of class and whatever, we're not going to get to any of it. So I'm kind of, we're getting rid of that plan and we are um, doing some different stuff instead. But um, we, the first class I wanted to, it is really beautiful weather here in Erie, Pennsylvania, where it is not beautiful all year round. You know, we have a very nice, limited, short, beautiful weather season from sometimes May, usually June, sometimes doesn't start till July to about end of October, maybe middle of November. And then from then on, it's either rain or snow um, and clouds. So I really wanted to get outside and I wanted to, yeah. So we, we went outside and it was just a very simple, you know, noticing we were, we're going to kind of focus on plants and local environment and stuff, whatever for summer school. So get outside and just make some observations. So some of the classes were working with like quadrants to quadrants. 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 Yeah. Quadrants. Yeah. Um, and they were working with those to make observations of like a little plot of, of the, um, like a tiny one, I make little ones, um, of the schoolyard and the flowers that we saw and even the rocks and ants or whatever. And, um, and then the other groups were a little bit more open-ended and I was just like, go find, we want to find two like flowers of the same type or plants of the same type, trees of the same type, whatever. We're going to do these two different observations. So, um, I quickly realized that students had no idea what to do. And I mean, they like did it, but they didn't know they're like, I see a flower, yellow. Um, it's smelly. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like it was, there was, it, it was, it was a struggle. So I very quickly realized that yeah, wasn't working out very well. I had them do their best in that moment. I wanted them to still have the chance to kind of do it on their own. And I think that is valuable, even as they were doing it badly to do it on their own before intervening. Um, but, but we definitely it just like highlighted that they do need some, and I'm, I'm going to say direct instruction. I don't mean me lecturing at them what observation is, but they need some like focused instruction or learning time on like what it means to observe something and how, and, and what, and like how you record those observations or what you write down and, and things like that. Right. Um, and some, I guess not even like, yeah, tool, like tools to use in, mm -hmm. And they're thinking about recording observations. So, so that's also when we got that question, I was like, oh, I think we should do an episode on that yeah. because yes. I'm definitely planning that for my back to school year um, activities. We're going to spend some time developing our observation skills. Yeah. And I, kids just want to rush through it. They're like done. And yes. you're like, uh, oh, like you wrote down one thing. <laughs> No. Yes. And I think that was also the problem that a lot of them ran into was just like, I just, I, it's just, I did it. Yeah. I did it. Right. I looked at it for two seconds and I did it. Um, so if I were to redo that lesson, <laughs> because we all flop, right. Sometimes. Um, and, and what I did when we did come together after I realized like, okay, this is not working. Um, we started to talk about, okay, come, let's very basic. Let's come back to our five senses, which is something, honestly, kids should have learned in elementary school with like 
even making observations, like as a science practice, making observations in elementary school, it doesn't always happen, but like what, like, let's just run through our senses. Like what, what do we see here? Mm -hmm. Um, what do we smell? What does it feel like? Uh, you know, describing texture or, or whatever, but even then there's obviously a lot of work and, and what you can, what do we see here? I see yellow. Okay. (laughs) Like where, (laughs) or (laughs) what shade of yellow, or could we use our pencils to draw it or like, um, but I think that is probably the first step is just talking about like, what do they actually see or senses wise observe? I think maybe even before that piece is like, like starting to tell them why it's important. They're not going to get it, you know, like starting to, um, like lead with your why it's not going to be clear to them right away. They're going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, whatever, you know? But I think if you start there, then you can kind of go back and say like, see, this is, you know, why it was important. You know what, actually thinking of that, I feel like, and this came up when I was talking to students, but I think it would have been very valuable to even just do like a quick activity where I'm like, okay, draw me a flower Mm -hmm. and then look at how many different like flowers you get or like how the flowers look different Mm -hmm. or draw me a house or what, like literally you could pick anything and just have students see why using a a word like flower to describe what you're seeing is a starting point. But if I've never seen, well, first off, I've never seen flower before. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we also might have all different mental images of what it is. So observation, like kind of getting to the why, like observation is a way of communicating what we're seeing and creating that mental image in someone else's head. And so we need to go beyond like just flower. Right. Um, So I think something like even like briefly like that to kind of emphasize why it's important. What, what would you do to kind of communicate why, or what would you tell your students? Um, I don't know. I think I would start with that. Like I start the year talking about phenomena and like, these are just, you know, it's a really fancy word for like the stuff that we see around us. And the whole purpose of science is that we want to understand the stuff that's around us. So in order to be able to do that, we have to look at stuff and, you know, like I, that's kind of my beginning spiel is like, this is why we're here. You know, I'm not here to give you answers to things. We're going to try to figure out things. So. I like that. Yeah. Um, okay. So then you, yeah, we get our students to start making some of their observations. How do we help them? Imp- okay. So I think also helping students understand that you can make observations in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the five senses or whatever, just to get them thinking about like more of those, you know, concrete things or whatever. But like, we could also then introduce this idea that you can record your observations as pictures, you could record them as words, or you can record them as numbers. And obviously, then you can add in, like, once students have that idea, qualitative and quantitative and and get into that. But if you're, if like, let's say you're elementary, I probably wouldn't throw those words out there. I would just say words and numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would also even say, like, show me what you see, show me what you smell, or, you know, like some kids will use words and some kids will use pictures. And I think it's valuable to be like, look, you guys are both trying to explain the same thing and you did it very differently. Um, And, you know, just talking about, is that right or wrong? And that's kind of one of the ways that I introduce modeling, you know, like, Hey, this person just made a picture and that 
especially with elementary students, I've been doing that more and more. Like if you can't write down what you're thinking, draw mm -hmm. a picture that's totally acceptable. And I think that that's um, helpful for students. And that's kind of, kind of a tangent, but yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. And I think you can also allow, like, let's say that opens the door to allow students to lean into where they feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then when you have them, like, when, cause this is again, a practice, you're going to be involving your students in like regularly mm -hmm. or it should be at least, um, you can then like push them. And well, I would say you can have them reflect on like, well, what maybe looking at their observations after the first five minutes, are you leaning toward pictures, words, or numbers right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, how could you incorporate one of those other means of communicating. Like if you've done a lot of pictures, how can we add more words in there? Or if you have a lot of words and pictures, how can we add more numbers? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like a way where you, I like how you said that where it gives you, gives them a chance to get, go where they're comfortable. And then you can, in your feedback, in your discussion with them, like, how can we take it further then? Right. And I, I really like having them as much as possible, discuss it with each other and kind of look at what they've done. And, um, you know, like if, if they're paired up with somebody, they drew a picture and they're paired up with somebody who wrote something, then you can talk about like, how do you get what you see in your brain to be, for them to be able to understand it when they obviously are communicating differently than you, you know, like, so then you have to, you know, maybe add some writing to your picture, or maybe you have to add a diagram to your picture so that they can understand you. So, yeah, I like that. Um, so, okay. So we've been talking about like recording their observations. Um, what are some other ways, like, let's just, I guess, back up a little bit of like helping students not just like get, get the idea of the observation. Like we're like, we, you know, we've been talking about like how they're recording their idea about, of the observation. How are some, like, did you have any ways that we can support students in like making the observation, like, like seeing it? Like. Um, okay, so I feel like I'm not explaining that well. Um, like, okay, so for one, I think regularly, like, and this is not really an actual supporting it way, but re regularly incorporating an opportunity to 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 do this. So, like, I plan to do this with my bell ringers, and mm -hmm. um, at least most, or a, a good chunk of my bell ringers. I just want them to be like, here's a phenomena. Let's make it, like notice stuff. You know, like the yeah. I notice, I wonder kind of thing. Um, but uh, I was thinking things like looking at, like literally just looking at, touching, whatever for a certain amount of time. Because like you said, students like to ru rush through it. So maybe they just spend a couple, like I'm going to set the timer for two minutes and literally you are, you're looking at this object, you're handling this acorn, you're looking at it closely, you're thinking about it. And maybe even before they start writing or recording anything, they're just for that whole, maybe not two minutes, maybe one minute to start off with, maybe 30 seconds. I mean, 30 seconds can be really long when you're, right. honestly, it's kind of like a mindfulness practice, which is yeah. really difficult for adults and for everybody. Um, but, but observation takes a, a degree of mindfulness because you have to be present and you have to see stuff and you have to not maybe have your mind be wandering away or thinking about other things. You're like really focused on one thing. Or you're um, like, you feel like this isn't very important. So you can chat with your friend or, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so doing the, uh, something like setting a timer and literally just for like the next, and maybe you start with 10 seconds at a time, <laughs> even 10 seconds can be long. Um, but work students stamina up toward, toward those more extended periods of like noticing. 
Um, but like as things like that or tools like that, um, I, so setting a timer. Yeah. Sometimes I require that they write down like 10 observations and I tell them, Hey, your first three are going to be super easy. And then you're going to be like, I don't have any more. And you're really going to have to push yourself to come up with those last seven, you know? Yes. Like, yeah. Like a challenge, a structure like that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like it does get harder. I've done activities like that in PD, like workshops and things. And you get like, you know, four or five and you're like, Oh my gosh, what else is there to say about this thing? And you really have to dig. Um, also like kind of prompts. So that's where you can start thinking. And we are going to talk about the crossing concepts a little bit, but honestly, even like before just prompts, like color, let's mm-hmm. talk about size. Well, I guess that's, I guess that's a little bit of a scale mm-hmm. quantity. Um, but like, yeah, like color or, um, I don't know. I can't think of any that are not cross-cutting concepts right now. <laughs> so I think that I think that almost all of them are cross-cutting concepts, and that's kind of the point. But we don't talk about them in terms of the cross-cutting concepts. There we go. That language is overwhelming. We give it to them in student-friendly language. Yes. So, like color, size, um, is it all like the same, or do you see um, like patterns or changes, or like I mean, you can just kind of go. I would suggest you have you take some time to think, or even probably Google search, you could probably find something that gives some prompts, like prompting questions, you know, texture, um, that you could help students focus in on aspects mm-hmm. or um, even like cards with words on them, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And then they can, just Google, you know, like, Hey, you have to use, you know, three of the 10 cards or whatever. Like, I like that. Cause it gives them some choice in there and they yeah. can, what comes now, like what comes to them, but also you're giving them some structure and just spark, spark some ideas. So like tools like that can really help your students focus in on different, different things, like different things to notice, you know? Like yeah. That. And, um, I even like sentence prop prompts. I don't like using them this early because I feel like that's too structured. Um, so I do like, you know, card sorts and things like that, that would help them, you know, any type of just like you know, really easy piece. Yeah. And honestly, like even like you were talking about, um, I feel like I'm saying like a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's because you've been talking to me. It's a California thing. <laughs> um, but the sentence starters could even be a subsequent activity where you have all of your kind of rough draft mm-hmm. observations. And now we're going to take it a step further and maybe set some of the sentence prompts ask you, more specific things. Like I noticed pat like a pattern where, or whatever, whatever your sentence prompt is, um, as a, like a level two of sorting through your observations and making sense of them and, and, and that stuff. Yeah. Um, I also think that it's important to not just do observations for the sake of observations, you know, do them within the context of your initial unit. So, in seventh grade, I almost always do like, um, like states of matter and particle motion and all of that kind of stuff in my first unit. So you don't want to give them something that's super complex when you're doing this, but you can do the like food coloring in different temperatures of water. And that will fit within this context. It's not coming out of left field, but it's also super simple. Yeah. I like that. And like an earth science unit, if you're doing, you know, rock, rocks, rock cycle. Um, you could very easily get different samples of rocks right. or get different samples of soils. Even, um, you could, if you're doing life science, it could be different flowers, different leaves, um, bark, uh, 
you can, it, it doesn't have to be complicated or like super wow worthy or anything like that, but it still can connect to what your students are going to be learning about in some way, shape or form. I would also maybe consider, um, like, you know, the structure of your school, but I would also consider like pre-assessing doing some kind of like, um, like an exit ticket or something like that. Like, how would you observe this? Because if your students can do this, they're going to be so bored, you know, like, um, so, you know, just kind of think about that piece that you don't want to be teaching something, them something that they already know. Yeah, I, that's a good idea. Um, and that is where summer school was like a, <laughs> that first lesson was very much like, oh, uh-huh. they don't know any of that. Yeah. So I'm going to spend some time doing that. But if your students are already good to go there, um, you might not need to spend as much time. Right. That said, you could also just have in the, in like your back pocket, some ways of pushing them further, because even uh-huh. if your students can make general observations, it doesn't like you could take it a step further. Like they might make a a great description, descriptive type of observation, but maybe they're not looking for patterns right. or maybe that's where you can bring in those cross-cutting concepts. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you wrote, you, you did a great description of this flower. What do you think about the structure of the flower, you mm-hmm. know, and having even then just generating some like noticing the structure specifically, and then following up with the, the wonderings about it, you know, mm-hmm. so you can kind of have that if you're, in a situation where maybe some of your students are ready to go and some might be struggling, have those kind of upper level activities that you can slide out some other prompts or slide out some other sets of cards to push their observations further. Yeah. Yeah. Or even a second phenomenon, you know, here's a basic level one. Okay. Now I want you to observe, and maybe it's a video of a bee pollinating a flower versus just observing the flower itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah like a level two. Yeah. And I think like, if you have that in mind, this is your level one, this is your level two, this is your level three, then, you know, maybe you can skip level one with your kids, you know? Yes. Yeah. Once you get started and you, and you see where they're at. Um, The other thing is, is I think um, that we should just note that you really only want to look at one cross-cutting concept at a time, because I think some of us have a tendency to like I don't know. When I first saw the cross-cutting concepts, I was like, these are so obvious. I'm just going to like, what is the, you know, cause and effect? What are, what are the patterns? But, um, I think to have some sort of, like, after you've made those initial observations, maybe doing some explicit instruction on what that cross-cutting concept looks like, and then going back and observing it through the lens of that cross-cutting concept. I Um, like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. (laughs) Um, I was just going to say, I, I think also when we're thinking about it, like the crossing concepts are a tool to help us see things differently, see things, um, observe things differently, like understand things in different ways. So with observation, like you said, only using one concept, it's like giving kids one tool because you don't want to give kids 20 tools at the same time. They, they need to build their skill with one tool at a time. So when you can focus you know, today's observation activity is on like that one cross-cutting concept. And, and again, it's, it's in context, but the observations are doing in this lesson patterns is, is the really important one that I need them to see. You're focusing on patterns. The more they get comfortable with that, you know, you do another observation three weeks down the line and maybe the focus is cause and effect, but because you, they really learned patterns, they still might bring in patterns into their observation. So it, it's like, we're building their toolbox through, 
of different ways of approaching a phenomenon and making observations about it by focusing on one at a time. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's one, there's so much overlap in the cross-cutting concepts, like, um, like the cause and effect relationships is one of the patterns that they mention. And two, once your kids get comfortable with a cross-cutting concept, you can give them choice and say like, which cross-cutting concept would you use in this instance? But that's further down the line. Don't jump in there. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, we didn't really talk about teacher feedback. And I think that that, um, I think that that's a huge piece, um, that you can't expect that students are just going to do a good job with this, that you need to be providing some kind of feedback. I like doing this with exit tickets, um, because it gives me just a snapshot of what students are doing and I can respond to it really quickly without throwing something in my grade book or anything like that. I could just say, um, you know, like they wrote that it was gross or smelly or, you know, using words that aren't necessarily scientific, but I could say like, what does this mean to you or something like that? Um, and usually I just write like a leading question of some sort to kind of just make them think about their observations. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, and, and providing ways. Um, so on your observations or your feedback, potentially providing ways for them to take it further, like you lean toward doing drawings. Could you add words to those? You know, what words could you add to help us better understand or what numbers could you add? Um, And it also, when you're providing feedback, it's so easy to differentiate your feedback just based on what you see from the students. So I, you know, like those, I love exit tickets because I feel like one, it allows me to assess my students and two, they get something that pushes them from where they are to where, to where they could potentially be. So, yeah. And like you had mentioned also involving students in that feedback process. Um, So I think one thing you could do with these types of questions, like which area did you tend, did you use the most like drawings, um, writing or word, like words or numbers? I mean, that's a question like for sure you could write that on a student's page or you could have some sort of rubric, like very simple rubric or prompts that your students could actually just look at and reflect on and discuss on their own. So while some students you may need to, you know, direct, like directly respond to them, like, I see you did a lot of pictures. Could we add in, could we add numbers or could we add words? Other students, you might be able to have the, and and this is a skill I think we, we would also want to develop is here's your here's our rubric or here are some reflection questions and they could look at that and they could think about, well, what did I do? Oh, I did a lot of pictures. Maybe I should add some words to that. So we want to eventually like build up our students ability to reflect on their own performance and assess themselves and, and revise their, their work. So using tools like rubrics or prompts, reflection prompts, things like that. Class discussion reflections could be a great tool to improve students' observation skills as well. That does not require you to actually like do anything. Right. And you could even, um, I really like, like dividing kids up into like sections of the room. So like, if you mostly use pictures, go to this space. If you mostly use words, go to this space. If you mostly use numbers, go to this space and then have them like reflect with somebody in that group and then say, okay, after two minutes, I want you to go find somebody from a different group and see what they did, you know? And so it's like, like, so that they're doing most of the reflecting and I, you know, that's way more active learning than you just saying, Hey, you know, like I oh, know yeah. this or, you know, and, and also it gets them moving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
can you share that post-it activity you also mentioned before we started recording? Um, yeah. So you could even have them, um, like write down an observation on post-its and then stick it at the front of the classroom and maybe do like a gallery walk or something and ask students to make observations. Like, what did you notice? What did you wonder? And, you know, like students could say, might say something like, um, I noticed that there were some words like yucky or, you know, like, um, some of the students who talked about color. And I think that that's more of an introduction activity to that leads to a discussion about what the observations are and maybe potentially what makes a good observation. Right. Like which observations are going to be helpful to, and you can even have students think about like to other people, but also to you later. Like if you look back at, so last episode, we talked about interactive notebooking. Um, If you look back in your science notebook, you know, six months from now, are you going to understand what you meant? Because, you know, you had mentioned in that episode, how you like to show like real scientists. And I'm putting that in quotes because I think we should help students feel like everybody, like they are, yeah, that's true. Could be yes. but like historical, like scientists or whatever, like their, their, their notebooks and what those look like, um, and kind of emphasize, you know, looking back at those notebooks, we can only understand them because they took re- like really great, ob- they made really great observations that, um, in words and numbers and pictures and all of that. And so how can we, you know, are, if we were looking at yours, 50 years from now, are we going to understand what you meant and how could we improve your, our observations to make sure that we know what we make, what we mean six months from now or 50 years from now or whatever it is. Right. And I want them to value each other as a resource as much as they value me, because we've all been in the classroom where, where the kids are like, what do we do now? What do we do now? What do we, you know, like, and they have really great thoughts, you know, like collectively we are so much stronger than just me standing in front of a room. And you really have to break them of that like thinking because, because that's what they're used to is you're the person with the answer. So, yeah. And, and they need to grow up trusting that they know or can obtain the answers. Exactly. Um, one last thing I want to talk about before, cause this, I feel like this episode is getting kind of long, but okay. So those quantitative number skills, cause this also related to, um, the listener's question and, and they were talking about some lessons on, on teaching those skills and all that. Um, one way that you can, because I don't want to get into a whole nother episode about how we would teach those skills, but consider it what your students might need a review on. And I would recommend providing, so you could either do like mini lessons and I'll let Aaron talk about like how you might break up the class to do like mini lessons based on formatively assessing them. But you could also create, you know, a like a help, a support station, or, and I have some blog posts about support stations if you're not like super familiar with them, but basically like a center, whether it's a digital one or in your classroom that might have short videos that would explain how you use a thermometer, how you take measurements with a ruler, how you find the length of something or the depth of something or the volume of something, or how you use like this tool or that tool. And that could be a way if you're like, giving students an instruction, we, you know, in your observations, I need you to have some numbers, some numbers you might want to include are the length or the width or um, the volume of whatever it is. They could have a reference sheet, like a reference station to go to if they don't know how to take that measurement. And you're also not necessarily like spending the entire class's time learning something that they probably should have learned. And I'm not saying they 
did, but they probably should have learned prior to coming to your class. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that maybe we will talk about that in another episode because, um, I, I could talk about that. <laughs> really okay. Long. Hi. All right. We'll say that. Um, but, but I think if you go back to that stations unit, that's a good place to start that you set up different stations with, for different needs. And that's pretty much what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to spend like excessive amounts of time teaching, like observing the measuring the width to include yeah. in your observations or something yeah. like that. You can. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I agree. So I, I do want to throw out, there is a book that I have been reading and it is by John Muir Laws and somebody else and Emily Ligren. And I got it as a PDF and I think it might even be free, but it's how to teach nature journaling. And even if you're not planning to teach nature journaling, there are a lot of really good, like, it's all about this observation and, um, developing student skills in this area. And it, it has a bunch of different activities. And I feel like you could, whether you go take your kids outside to like do this with nature, or you just want to browse through the activities, it could give you some good prompts for questions that you could ask students. Um, and it could give you some different, different structures, like, you know, one activities, um, the skill in one activity is like noticing details. That is one type of like observational skill that we might, you know, need to, to build. Um, another activity might be like, um, focusing on asking questions or making connections. And so like taking your observations and making connections with them or asking questions from them. Um, there's like one activity that looks at different scales. So looking at like magnified life-size distance, distant or whatever, and reflecting on those observations. So again, not that you're necessarily going to do all these activities. I, you might find, find that you want to, but it might give you some different ways of thinking about building your students' observation skills if you find that they're lacking in some of them. So I just want to um, mention it's called How to Teach Nature Journaling. And I'm pretty sure it was a free PDF download from their website. I don't know if it's free anymore. I got it last year. But it's by John Muir Laws and Emily Ligren. And we'll put a link in the show notes for how you can get that. Sounds good. If I can find it, <laughs> I will try to find it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today um, and, and being a listener in general. <laughs> yeah. We, um, we appreciate you. And we hope this episode was helpful. I feel like it was a little bit all over the place, a little bit less structured than what we normally do, but we had lots of different ideas and they were kind of coming off in all over the place. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it happens. it's okay. Yes. Look inside of our brains. Sometimes they're very, sometimes they're very structured and organized. (laughs) And sometimes there's like, Oh, there's idea, that idea. Yeah. Um, Anyway. All right. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. 
For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner.